Good morning, Dustin. It's foggy out here in Modesto. I don't know. When's the last time you've been out to Modesto? Nah, you know, it's been years, brother. It's been years. It's probably six years or so. But yeah, it's, it's getting chilly out here in New Jersey for sure. Yeah. A little snow past couple days, but nothing stuck. Snow? What's that? <laughs> no idea. White, white st- <laughs> cold stuff out in the Central Valley here. We don't we don't get no snow. No, not at all. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's It's hard to have a dialogue with yourself out loud. And I'm like... Hey man, let's let's talk about a few things together. Recently, I've been kind of back in the classroom teaching, trying to help close the skills gap in Santa Sauce County and yep. helping out just to talk into, let's say, folks between the ages of 20 to 30 who are looking to upskill. So I'm just I'm just kind of getting my getting the pulse of things back and I'm teaching problem solving. And this is a new concept to to a lot of these folks. And yeah. Like, hmm, I think we need to talk about a few things because there is a need for understanding how to think. They are being taught what to think and not how to think critically. I don't know. Yeah, what, what's your thoughts on? I know I don't want to sit around and sound like some old dudes, like, oh, these kids don't know what they're talking <laughs> about these days lawn. and stuff. <laughs> no, you know, I, I mean, number one, uh, thanks again for having me back. You know, this is definitely a pleasure to talk to you every time we get to, but uh, I agree. I mean, I really do feel like there is a need to really teach critical thinking and really teach problem solving. I think too many times in life, you know, even at a younger age, like I said, you're working with, with students or college kids, be, and, and even when you grow up, you know, I mean, there's a checklist of things. And if here's a problem, here's my, here's my, my three point, you know, process to get things chalked off. But I think a lot of times that may work for a lot of things, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't allow you to really find the best solution or maybe the most efficient or most productive. So, yeah, I think this is a big topic. And I think just from, you know, you and I working with large companies and large organizations or even smaller ones too, where, they're presented with a problem and maybe it's cash flow, maybe it's revenue, maybe it is talent, maybe it's whatever, you know, it's return to work policy, whatever the case may be. And there's a problem, but a lot of times what they don't do is they don't look at the root causes. They don't look at the underlying issues of why they're seeing these symptoms, why these problems are coming up. And so being able to diagnose a problem and really solve it correctly instead of a Band-Aid or a pill really comes into play. And and frankly, I just, I believe that most people, like you said, aren't trained or aren't coached in how to properly do it. So how how I define problem is deviation from the standard, a deviation from the plan. So that's why I think what we're doing with Use Soils and helping people create a life objective optimization plan. So when there's a deviation from that plan, that's a problem. Something was unexpected that came up. There's some good problems, some bad problems, but a deviation from the plan or a deviation from what you expect is one way to define it. The other way to define it is a gap between where you currently are and where you're supposed to be or where you think you're supposed to be. I'd say, you know, before I kind of continue on, again, I do feel like this needs to be discussed. And that is there are some times where deviations from the standard or deviations from the plan is actually a good thing. Right. There are times where, you know, uncovering things does actually provide the opportunity to make improvements, to make adjustments. And I think a lot of times, you know, we see, well, we missed the mark. Okay, well, why? Was it training? Was it development? Was it the product? Was it the market? And it really allows people to dig into really the external and also the internal things that are happening to, again, like you said, to bridge those gaps and to get back to plan. So again, I think some people shy away from problems. I like to find problems because now that means we can improve efficiency. Now that means we can improve processes. So yeah, some people use the term opportunities. I'm like, okay, I, I get that because it is problems. But yeah, some, also the, sometimes that's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
So I would say on a, on a personal level, just to use an example, like, all right, I've gained weight. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's, what's the gap there? So what is my desired weight versus my current weight? And what's my healthy weight versus current weight? So you can start saying, all right, there's a plan. I need, I need to drop 10 pounds. And then what we're getting into critical thinking and problem solving, what we're really saying is, you know, ask, ask questions, ask why. So why have I gained weight? So then you're going to start breaking it down. But I want to say, and this is what we talk about in the book too, think about the things you can control versus can't control. So with weight loss, genetics is a major reason of how we lose weight, gain weight, and you can't control your genetics. So to stress out, I just have bad genetics, there's nothing I could do. That's all non-value added stress. So it's what, what can you control and what are some things that you can do? So what is contributing to the problem? It's another question you want to ask. Well, not exercising, then it's why aren't you exercising? Not eating healthy, why aren't you eating healthy? You're stressed, why are you stressed? And just kind of going down, maybe at five whys. So that's kind of what I wanted to get to with uh, how to think and how to question everything. Absolutely. No, again, I mean, going back to that, you know, gaining thing, I mean, I've, I do it every month, I feel like. But uh, yeah, so I feel like, you know, with, with those type of things, again, if there's not something to reference back to, okay, you're gaining weight, but like, what does that even mean? You know, so going back to, really digging into the root cause of things. And like I said, genetics, okay, that plays a factor. Habits play a factor. But again, finding out the why as far as what is happening, whether it's weight, whether it's revenue, whether it's whatever, you know, those are all things that you need to tie back to as far as finding the root cause of it. And maybe it's just that my wife had a whole pumpkin pie in there. My kids don't eat it. My wife doesn't like it. So I ate it, you know, so and maybe that's the problem. But so that's the root cause of it, right? So just being able to say, I I gained weight, you know, I'm behind on my quota this quarter. You know, what's the root cause? Is it dials? Is it emails? Is it cold outreach? Is it not networking? Is it just I'm not exercising? Am I staying up late? Am I sitting all day? So again, those are all going to lead to the root causes of things that we could actually tangibly touch right. and make changes to. So right. And the whole the whole point is what you're making is we need to know the root cause so we could solve the problem correctly. We need to solve the root cause of the problem. So say it's the pumpkin pie thing and it's like, all right, really get down to the root cause. I don't have self-control. So now we need to, instead of saying here, you need a, an exercise bike at your house, right? If you don't have self-control, let's work at solving that problem where don't bring pumpkin pie into the house because if it's there, I'm going to eat it, right? right? So now you're coming up with solutions that actually focus on the root cause. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, I mean, yeah, you're going to find that true root cause. Again, like I said, the problem is not that there's pie in the fridge. The problem is that every time I walk past it, I want to, I want to, every time at nighttime, I, I, you know, when I'm at, when I'm up staying too late or it's midnight, I, you know, so those are going to be the root causes, right? It's not that there's pie in the fridge. It's that I don't have the self will and, and, and to really get by that. And then again, you know, again, once you call, once you kind of solve those root causes and once you work on the will, once you work on the skill or the, I mean, so once you work on those things, it's okay to have pie in the fridge right? because you've worked on those because you have solved those problems. And now because I've improved that area, because I have improved my, whatever it is, my production line, my processes, now I can do those things. Those things can be there, but they're not a problem anymore. They don't, the symptoms don't bubble up to the surface. Yeah. So there's Kind of what we talked about in the book, and there's three, three common mistakes that I that I warn people of when problem solving. We'll get into some the problem solving process, and then we'll use some real life examples. But three common mistakes when problem solving. This is what I learned, and I, I just 
it, it seems to be true. One thing that you get in trouble with, the first common mistake is assuming you know what the problem is based on what you think. Right. So that that's kind of like based on what you think, what do you, what do you mean? So the problem with <laughs> thinking is that it's not a fact. Usually it's not verified. So when you're thinking, that's really, you're making assumptions and you could have a pretty good guess, but assuming is is the problem. The second one after assuming you know what the problem is based on what you think, the second one is assuming you know how to fix a problem without right. finding out what is causing it. The third one is assuming you know what is causing the problem without confirming it. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, and I think, you know, when, when you, number one, like, like what we talked about, right? I mean, when we look at problems and we start getting into the critical thinking aspect of, you know, being able to differentiate between if this is a symptom or a root cause, you know, you can't fix it, you know, just by thinking, oh, I, I know what to fix it. Because, I mean, if you knew what really was able to fix it, then it would have been solved. It wouldn't be a problem. And so, yeah, I think those are big three assumptions that really people because it's easy, right? Because it's the easiest path. I mean, as humans, we want to flow with the least resistance. So I'm going to assume that I'm I got this thing handled and then the problems arise. So we've kind of identified that. No, you don't. So we need to kind of break down those barriers of kind of preconceptions of uh, and assumptions that, Hey, I know how to fix it. I know what the real problem is. And you need to kind of take a step back and really take an analytical approach to really finding what's causing this to happen. Mm-hmm. So then, yes. Yeah. The problem solving mindset, what I think about is, to your point, rely on reason and logic and data and facts rather than emotion. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get emotional about a lot of things that, that are coming out because we feel so either angry or frustrated. We think we know everything and it gets it could get ugly sometimes. So one thing that I've been noticing is just people with humility, I seem to trust more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not to get off topic, but I, I think it's related. So as with humility means as you're solving problems and kind of how this ties together is it's okay to be wrong. Yeah. You should almost want to disprove yourself. And my son, he's taking a college course. He's doing debate. And I, I'm, you know, he talks to me every day about the debates and what's going on. Cause he knows I, I love that topic, but it's just yeah. because of the logic behind there and how to properly define things and, and go research data. So it's super exciting, but I, I was telling him if someone if you know someone or on TV, you see someone who just never admits to being wrong. They do no wrong. They're hiding something. So be wary of, of that, but have a problem solving mindset is right. So uh, to be scientific mindset, you, you want to think of, yep, I'm going to follow the evidence and then draw a conclusion, not here's a conclusion. Here's a narrative. I'm going to fit things to fit into what I assume. That's where we get in trouble. Yeah, you know, uh, yes, for your for your son in debate. One of my favorite movies is uh, "Thank You for Smoking." It's kind of a weird title, but uh, I think it's geez, probably about ten years old now. But uh, got the guy who played Two Face in it, you know, whatever. But it's a great movie. But I mean, he this guy is a tobacco lobbyist, right? I mean, so you talk about one of the most hated people in America. But I mean, it, it's all around structuring arguments. It's all about structuring. I mean, yes, there's a family and it's a cute story and everything else. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, so that just kind of popped in my head. But again, I, I think when you start talking about the analytical side and, and call it the hard skills, and then I agree with, yes, things need to be grounded in numbers, but I do think that when you're problem solving, whether it's a personal thing or a huge organization going through a transformational shift, there are emotions and there are the side, the soft side that comes into play. So I guess what I would say to that real quick is that um, number one, I love the data analytics and I would just use a quote from, I think the guy's name is Mark Grunger. Um, he's like a marriage counselor. My wife and I saw him like 
you know, 10 years ago in Germany or something like that. But, you know, he had this quote, and again, it was designed for marriages, but it could be used for business. That is, you know, a lot of times feelings, you know, will lead to action. So I love my wife. So I want to do the dishes. I love this company. I'm passionate about its mission. So I'm going to work hard in this this thing. And sometimes those feelings aren't there. So in those cases, sometimes the actions will lead to the feelings. So again, sometimes, I mean, not this would have happened in my marriage, but or my business, you know, type thing. But, you know, sometimes there is not that deep passion. There's not that deep love and commitment. So and sometimes you just need to do the dishes. Sometimes you just need to do that Excel sheet. Sometimes you just need to do whatever briefing for the quarterly you know, report that needs to be done. And just doing those things will kind of bring the passion back. Some of those things will bring those things together. And I think that's sometimes where you can kind of marry the between the analytical and the emotional side, because I don't think we can neglect the fact that change is emotional and going through these processes is an emotional thing. So I just want to kind of point that out there just because I do think it is important. You can't really discard it, but things have to be grounded in some type of measure, measurable task, you know? Yeah. So when you, when you get those emotions, when you're problem solving, it's can't, do you have the emotional intelligence to then do something about it, realize you're being emotional and kind of think, all right. So not just from the inspiration side, but to prevent you from jumping to conclusions, right? We get emotional about that. And then we jump to a conclusion because we want it to be something so bad. Like I started playing tennis, as I told you. And, and then when you're playing tennis, you know, it's all new to me that you, when you're playing against someone and they hit the ball, you're your own line judge. I'm used to having referees and stuff. And then so the ball hit, hits the the line and I have to call it, you know, so it was going to make me, make me lose against one of my friends who I didn't want to lose to. So emotionally, I want to say like, I, I want to call it out because I want it to be out, but no, it's in, it was in, but dang it. Like your thought is like, Oh, I want it to be out so bad. I just almost, you call it out, but yeah, it's like, you're not doing it on purpose. You're like, Oh no, sorry. I want it to be out, but no, that was in. Like yeah. you start doing the, the hand signal. Like it was out. But, but I mean, how many times does that happen though in business? It happens all the time, right? Because you know, this problem affects my department and I'm in, and I'm leading my department, which means that I have failed, you know, are one of the cases, right? So I want to try to push blame, you know, to wherever I can. It's the finance department. It's the scene. I mean, it's all these different things, right? So I think there are a lot of times in business and we all know that Chris cheats in tennis. So that's yeah, a fact, yeah, but, you know. but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that happens a lot in business though, right? I mean, when problems problems arise. And again, there's analytics to it. Yes. And there's data, but it's emotional. So time, like you said, you want it to be out. You want it to be, you know, a fault. I mean, I don't play tennis. I don't know what the terms are. Love is the only one I know. Um, <laughs> love. I do scores by 15, which is weird. But yeah, so I think, you know, when they, when they do things like that, I mean, again, it's going to be emotional. So being able to, again, not remove yourself, but understand that emotions are playing into it and taking, taking a step back and really a true look at what is actually happening. Again, that's the part where sometimes the actions will lead to the correct feelings and response. So So then that's going to be a nice segment into kind of something I was a little hesitant to talk about. But as you know, I put something out on LinkedIn and I sent some emails out asking for questions, what, what people wanted us to discuss in regards to problem solving. I had some business questions that I that I'll answer in part two of this podcast. And then what kept coming up is, right, which I get is all the the COVID stuff, right? With this new variant coming out and problem solving with that and how to analyze and and make good decisions. So one of the questions is 
about this new COVID variant. Was it the Omni? Omicron, I think it is. Yeah. Omnicron. That sounds like an <laughs> evil corporation. I know. Right? Um, it's like Lex Luthor's, you know, subsidiary or something like that. So the question is, should we panic about that? And how should we critically critically think about this new variant? Mm-hmm. So I'll just kind of give my initial thoughts. So the six-step problem-solving method, the first step is understand the problem. So let's let's understand this COVID variant. And we so we hear a lot of things and there's misinformation. There's it's so hard to find like true data, clean data out there now. So I feel sorry for for everyone who's trying to trying to find the truth on something. But I would say ask some questions. If you're concerned about the COVID variant, right? My thoughts are all right, what's what's new about it? What's different about it? What don't we know about it? So there's all right. If it if it spreads faster, more transmissible, all right. That's that's one thing. But is it more deadly? Does it put more people in the hospital? I'm trying to get some some numbers to understand. It's it's new, but is more contagious, but it's not as deadly. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Right. You have to kind of think of those questions. But but hearing that it's bad, and then just to go regurgitate, oh, it's bad. Oh, we should all panic. Like, hold on, let's not let's not panic. Let's let's get some information about it first, so we should know if we should panic or not. Hmm. So. Yeah, and I think you know when you, when you start when you really look at it, again going back to looking at the data. I mean, the, the problem is that you know these things are very complex, right? I mean, these things are. I mean, you and I aren't going to solve it today. I wish we could, but you know, so just getting data from different countries. I mean, let alone getting data from one municipality, one town, to the state, to the federal government to be pushed out. You know, so this stuff takes time. So you know, I think as of yesterday, I think there's nine cases or something like that in America. I think five were in New York, and so you know, I think when you start looking at it. Nine's not bad, but if it's very deadly, then nine is is very right. bad. You know what I'm saying? Like nine, nine's a big problem because it's going to grow. So I think when you look at it from an analytical perspective, at this point, I don't think there's reason to really panic. That being said, the data's not out. So I'm not a doctor or right. not anything like that, but nine is really not bad out of 350 million people. I think where it really comes into play is, like you said, the the panic side and really kind of the emotional side of things was we just we just went through the Delta variant, right? I don't know if that's still a thing or not, but I think by that time, you know, it'd been a year and a half. It'd been a year, you know, like uh, locked up and people, they thought that the end of the pandemic was, was coming. They, they thought it, we, they thought it, we were, we were, we were done with it. You know, uh, there were businesses who were, had their return to work policies in place and were bringing people back. And then all of a sudden the Delta variant pops back up and now all of a sudden it's back on. And so, you know, I think that is kind of where a lot of emotions and frankly, just fatigue mm-hmm. really set in. Um, and I think sometimes when people spout off information that they don't quite know, this could be really bad. This could be nothing. You know, I think uncertainty breeds anxiety. You know, anytime that I am uncertain about something, I get nervous. I get frustrated. I get whatever it is. And those can lead to, to frankly, some some rash decisions, which may or may not be the best thing. Right. And yeah, it's, it's some of the, the trust factor. So I had someone come up to me a few days ago after teaching problem solving, and this was one-on-one private. They asked me this, I didn't even talk about COVID or vaccines, but they asked, should I get my kids vaccinated? Like, holy moly, I'm not a doctor, like, right. But they're asking just about data and that that's what they're thinking about. So <laughs> To me, that it's a personal decision. So I will say, I will say this from the problem-solving world of things: it's a 
it's a principle that, you know, you need to go and see the problem. So what my advice is you don't, don't get advice from someone who's never seen your medical chart, someone who doesn't know your family, doesn't know your kids. So someone on the TV, right. They're going to do their best to give a blanket statement for everyone, but it's a personal decision between you and your doctor. Like you need Mm -hmm. to talk to your doctor and, and figure out what's best for your kids. Like that's, that's the way to go. So you want to talk to the experts, the people who know you best, not, someone who's never met your kids, don't take their advice. Right. So that's what that, but I, I kind of just got caught off guard by that, but we were talking about breaking down data, good data versus bad data. And I think why there's hesitancy with vaccine is because people are smart. Now they have access to information really fast. And when, when the data shows that, right, COVID kills older people, right. It's deadliest and in, in older people, therefore all ages need a vaccine. Right. That's to simplify it. Like that's kind of the statement we're getting. And like, is there data to show that kids really need the vaccine? Well, how's it impacting them? So to have a a blanket statement that everyone needs it, right. That's kind of where you get in trouble. People start to get a little hesitant, but you know, all the older people are dying and kids, the ones that get it just sniffle. So why do they need the vaccine? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's good questions. That's questions people should be asking. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, I mean, I think it's, again, I mean, depending upon, you know, that your personal beliefs, depending on how it really affects you. I mean, my, my in-laws got COVID, you know, back in March, like when it first kicked off and it was a bad cold. They're generally pretty healthy. They're generally typically pretty young. And, and so for them, it's a much different choice than an 85 year old with COPD right. and, and preconditions, right? It's a much different decision. It's a much different thing versus my two-year-old. Right. I mean, so, you know, the, and I agree. I mean, to make a blanket statement, again, not just for COVID, but for any other thing, if you're running a business, right? I mean, to make a generalization statement like that is can be very dangerous, especially when it's made very quickly and emotionally. So, um, again, it's a, I think those are going to be personal decisions. I think some decisions will be made for us, right? I mean, it's what it is. It's the life we live in. But I think any time that you can, you have the opportunity, those should be decisions that are made at the personal, at the individual, at the family level, or at the departmental level, at the organizational level, depending on what fits best for for their organization, you know, whether it's COVID and or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. It's a risk assessment. So, yeah, and I'll be clear the the data shows the vaccine is effective against death and hospitalization. Like it is a good thing. The data is there. So not against the vaccine. I'm for the vaccine. I'm for it for people who don't have underlying health issues. For if your doctor says not to get the vaccine, then I support you to have this motion too against people who aren't vaccinated. Maybe they have their own reasons for it. And I'm just seeing a, a lot of that. And it's like, that's not very scientific thing, you know, just to generalize everything. So one interesting data that I was looking at was people who have had COVID, like you're mentioning, then do they still need the vaccine? I got asked this question. Like, why? I'm not a doctor. I don't know why. People come to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to go. Where should I send my kids to college? You know, it's yeah, like, I don't know, but I appreciate the the trust because I think people know I'll give my best, mm-hmm. I guess, advice based off of scientific method. And mm-hmm. you know, I hate I hate the term when I hear follow the science. I hear it used all the time. Like what that that's that doesn't make sense, right? Science is an evolving thing, so it's not like you follow 
there's just one piece of science on it. Anyways, I'll get off that. But people who have antibodies, the data that I read, that's more effective than the vaccine. I do work with doctors and some of the feedback is the people who are in the hospitals right now are people who are vaccinated. People who have the antibodies who got COVID, that's very few that they're getting in a second time. So I guess that's where it's interesting and where there might be mistrust. So I, I think if, if everyone was open and honest and showed the data, maybe more people would get the vaccine. Well, again, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to also just understanding that decisions made at any level will have consequences, whether good or bad, right? You know, there was the mandate that was, I think, effective tomorrow, right? So the OSHA was going to start enforcing, especially for 100 employees or above, mandating vaccines. Or if, if they didn't get it, they had to do weekly testing for negative COVID for those people who were uh, unable to get the vaccine because of medical conditions or did not want to because of personal religious exemptions, whatever the case may be. And I think the consequences of that, you know, you could look at both sides of it. And I think one side of it is that there's about 50, so Willis Tower Watson, insurance uh, company, consulting company, uh, pretty well known. You know, they they did a report, I think it was just published last week that said that 57% of businesses were going to either require or plan to require vaccines. Uh, I think that broke down to 18% were actually currently requiring it. So they, they're mandating it. I think 7% was going to do, we're, we're doing it no matter what OSHA says. And I think like the rest, the 32% where those numbers work out to be, we're going to kind of wait. Now, that's a lot of numbers, but let me just break it down. Kind of what all that means is that, you know, there's a lot of people who are waiting on OSHA and OSHA in November said that they are no longer going to, uh, or they have suspended all implementation and enforcement of, you know, that policy of that mandate. So I think there's a lot of companies out there that, number one, we're, are going to do it anyways, um, who are planning to do it when the time's right, are waiting on for the support, you know, whatever that may be. And, and businesses are, are kind of in this place where they're not sure what to do, right? And so again, going back to uncertainty breeds, you know, breeds anxiety. And I think that's where a lot of businesses, a lot of people are at because there's so much uncertainty. And I think those decisions, whether at the federal, the state, the business level, the family level, the individual level, I mean, every decision has a consequence. And that's why it's important that you use the data. Why you said it's a risk assessment. Again, whether it's for the vaccine and or whatever it may be, there's always going to be a consequence. You have to outweigh the pros and cons for a yes or a no decision on either one. Yeah. And with some of the misinformation, like I, I thought it was just, it's kind of sad with the, the Joe Rogan and the Ivermectin, the whole issue where you could take data, right? One piece of data, right there. So I'll back up. There's a difference between data and facts, right? So one piece of data, you could spin that however you want. I think you need at least two pieces of data to try and get a resemblance of facts. So one piece of data, you could spin it however. So ivermectin, which I was aware of before the Joe Rogan thing, right? Because it won a Nobel Peace Prize. It helped yeah. cure river blindness. But then yeah. so, so you, you take some someone in the media to say, all right, this is a horse dewormer. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm going to slander someone else. And like, I don't I don't care about politics. It's just it's just funny how in problem solving. Yeah, you could take one piece of data and you can. So do horses use it? Yeah, they also use antibiotics and penicillin. So to call it something based off of one, like I doubt Joe Rogan was taking horse pills, right? It's, it's a human prescription. So it is an antiviral for, for humans. And yeah, to, to spin it that way was, was very yeah interesting. So I, I think gives kind of mistrust to people. I wish 
I wish there wasn't that. And if you research things by yourself and find the data, what is ivermectin? And maybe it does help some people. Maybe it works for some, maybe it doesn't for everyone, but it's just uh, taking data and spinning it is easy to do, but it's, can you look at the other side of things and go, let's tell my son in debate, like go prove yourself wrong. So if you're, if you're doing it and you're on to be pro something, spend more time on the con side of that. And then the pro, like you want to do some, some steel band arguments. If they don't have a good argument against you, do a better argument than they have and then defeat that argument. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, how, that's how I want you to set it up, son. Well, no, and I think, I mean, you bring a great point. Though. I mean, you know, because you could also say that I feed my kids dog food. Well, I gave my dog from Thanksgiving. So now that's dog food, but it was the turkey and ham from Thanksgiving that, that's left right. over. I took care of the pumpkin pie again. But uh, yeah, so again, I mean, you could easily spin things like that. And, you know, I guess what I'd also say is, is I love that aspect of digging into the information, you know, again, whether it's a business or a personal decision in regards to operations, you know, whatever it may be, is understanding the other side of it, right? So if I don't do this, if I don't make these changes on the production line, if I don't make these changes in my personal life with smoking or whatever the case may be, you know, What's the pros and cons? And then if you understand the negative, like you said, better than what the pros are, then you could argue it from both sides, right? Then you are now more informed. And, you know, I heard this quote many years ago, and that was, you know, if you can't argue from the other side, you don't have knowledge, you have propaganda. Um, And I think that speaks a lot into today's society. But again, from a personal level, from a business level as well, you have to understand the market. You have to understand the external factors and things. You have to understand everything in the ecosystem of what you're doing and how it affects everything. Because if you can't, if you can't explain why what you're doing is a bad decision, then you need to open up your eyes and, and figure out exactly what you're doing. Because you might just be kind of blindly down the wrong road. So yeah, I think whether it's debate class, you know, understanding the other argument, or it's the vaccine, or if it's whatever, or what car should you buy, all those things need to be taken in, into consideration. So. Awesome. Last thing I want to talk about, and thank you for your time is a little big, but a few minutes on this, but just a six step problem solving process and, and just the right critical thinking, how to problem solve what we're recommending is you, you go through these six steps and I'll just go through them real quick. Understanding the problem. The step one, two is identify the root cause. Three is determine possible solutions. So there you're, you're not, jumping to something. You're kind of going to use a scientific method there, try a few things out, look at the the risk assessment. That's where we would do it. Number three, right there. And yeah, kind of weighing out your options. And then number four is once you have data, right, then you want to implement the solution, try it out. Now take it a little more serious, you know, so you take what you, what you learned from your experiments there and step three looked at the ROI, but now you got to do it. And step five is monitoring the results. So just checking in, is it working? Is it not working? And that's kind of where you ref- reflect and you're learning about, about it. And then the last one is to standardize. And that is if it's good, if it, if it works, then make it a routine. If it didn't work, your solution didn't work, then sometimes you want to share. And that means like tell other people usually like what worked and what didn't work about, about it. So that's kind of just the process, the six step process. If you wanted to, yeah, and I think going back, I always kind of resort back to one of my favorite steps. In my mind, it's it's I don't say it's the most important, but it is the very first step. Understand the problem, right? If you can't clearly depict and you can't clearly identify what the root cause 
problem is, um, which I guess leads into to number two, and that is, you know, you're going to be solving the wrong problem, solving the wrong symptom, right? You know, I've got a sore throat, you know, I don't, but I mean, if I did have one, you know, okay, if I just go right and start taking lozenges, well, maybe I just slept with my mouth open, or, or maybe I just, I poured too much hot coffee down my throat and that's why it hurts, you know? So I mean, where those things are, like being able to, number one, identify not just the problem, but the right problem in digging down into what it really is, then then I think that you know, that kind of sets it off on the right path. Again, if you don't do that, you're going to be spending a lot of time, a lot of effort to your business, like a lot of resources, a lot of you know time and effort and money and people hours on solving the wrong problem. So I think that is really what it comes down to. Then I think when it comes down to the root cause, I think it goes one of two ways. And that is number one, I look too much internally. So you know, what I mean by that is it's it's just on me. I could fix this whole thing by myself. Um, and sometimes you can't. And sometimes what is actually happening is really because of external factors, right? I'm really cold right now. I'm standing out in the snow. I can't fix that. You know what I'm saying? Outside of putting on a jacket or going inside. So I think understanding the problem, the root cause, I think that really helps out as far as being able to solve the right problem, the right root cause. And then the second way that I think people kind of get this wrong is they externalize everything. So this problem I'm having is because of, you know, the office team. It's because of AR and AP didn't get the money in time. It's because of my sales reps aren't doing their job. It's because I have a bad production, whatever, whatever that problem is. A lot of times we have a, a tendency to, again, externalize problems. Really, it's in our purview, in our sphere of influence to make those adjustments and corrections. So um, and I know those two are kind of contradictory, but I do think that is kind of where identifying root causes really needs to be focused on is look internal, look external, and find those gaps. And that helps you find those root cause problems that you have. And then that leads you on to the rest of the steps, you know, the possible solutions, implementing, the monitoring, the driving results. And then also, if it works, great, let's standardize it. If it doesn't, let's adjust you know yeah I, I hear a lot of that too as blaming others everyone but yourself so i don't think it contradicts i think it's it's a good analysis i think what you're alluding to is understanding the problem you have to see what's external what things are outside of my control but what's going on externally but internally what things can i control about this problem and how did i contribute to this problem and maybe not at all, but sometimes ah, there's things I could have done better kind of as you're reflecting. Yep, so right. yeah, yeah. out of the six steps, if I was to graph these out of, of importance or they would be weighted, yeah, number one for sure would be the biggest. It's the, I know, I'm like, hey, you remind me of Einstein because I'll never say that again, but <laughs> right, the Einstein quote, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about solutions. Yeah. Yeah. How often do we do that though? It's here problem, we want to fix it. Right? Problem, mm -hmm. solution, problem, solution, not problem, root cause, then solution. Not everything is a hammer looking for a nail, you know? So. Right. Yeah. All right. No, again, I think, you know, and I think kind of going back to you know, big picture, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, right now, talent is a big thing right now. The war on talent, the great resignation, the great reset, the great rehire, the great, re you know, so all those things. And I think that is a big topic. And, and frankly, that I'm having with a lot of business owners, you know, and just understanding that, again, the, the decisions you make, the policies you put in place affect not just you directly, but a lot of those around you. You know, I, what I would say is that anytime you're doing 
whether it's a vaccine policy, mandating that for your business or improving a new or putting in a new paid time off policy. I mean, whatever it is, right? Uh, or a personal thing. But I'd probably just do like just kind of three steps. I guess if you're an organization, that's number one, come up with a plan and communicate it as quickly as possible. Get buy-in, you know, whatever that may be, right? So you get that buy-in and do it. You don't want to wait to the last minute and not have a discussion with people. So I would clearly identify what the plan is and push it out to your team, your family, whatever it may be. I'd probably say that the next two is really, really around empathy, right? I mean, really around that support. I mean, if I am doing a new program for my company, I'm changing the way we're doing things in our family. Again, change is difficult whether it's a good change or bad change, and that requires empathy. And I'd probably say the last thing is just, um, you know, use what's been working. You know, I mean, if if a new policy is going to make changes, you know, leverage your culture, leverage the people that are in power. It, it doesn't have to be a C-suite or a manager, quote, supervisor person. Sometimes, you know, you have those internal champions and those voices of reason inside departments that can help lead change for good or bad, whether it's whatever the problem solving process it is you're going through. Okay. Well, awesome. I know we, we talked about a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I want to thank you for your time and yeah, cool. we're going to launch this out to, to the listeners and see if we get some feedback, but yeah, a lot yeah. of, a lot of good questions were asked and tough questions and hopefully we did okay answering them. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, I mean, a lot of this stuff is, is, is touchy, man. I mean, a lot of this stuff is, I, and I think a lot of it is just not really talked enough about. So I hope this does spur a lot of uh, comments and questions because you know, I, I, these are the questions I love having. Surface level stuff is great because it gets us through the day, but digging in and finding those root causes again, I mean, finding those deeper questions, I think is where people really grow. I mean, growth happens in the margins and you don't do that unless you start digging. Well, thank you for your time, sir. And a good rest of your day. You as well, Gary. Thanks, man. This has been fun. Thank All you. Right, see you, brother.